Um, thank you, everybody, for coming to the Failing Forward podcast. I have with me the great Ping here. How are you, Ping? Good. How are you? Good. Um, so just a little intro. Ping is a seven-figure entrepreneur, real estate investor from Canada who invests in America, which is really cool. And you have lots of reasons for doing that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're going to get into that necessarily, but um, I know Ping because I know Daniel Salinas, who introduced me to you. So that's yes. that's the connection, which is which is pretty cool. So, um, I always like doing a little bit of an intro to, to my podcast too, just in case anybody anybody is new. So, um, I call it the Failing Forward Podcast. Because in real estate, what happens is there's a lot of people that get scared of taking action. And so I like the phrase failing forward because you uh, need to take action, even though it might not be perfect. And you will fail, but that's okay. And for me, that was really liberating, just that idea, because I'm a doctor and I've been in like really strict environments for school. And failing is just not a doctor word. Um, so it's it's just liberating to, to, for me personally, to be like, it's okay to make mistakes because you actually learn that way. But yeah. in medicine, that's not a phrase. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you guys are always say, obviously, well, any formal education is going for, you know, minimum of pass, obviously, ideally getting closer to the, to the 100%, right? So it really yeah. widens differently. So, yeah, you're always shooting for a hundred percent with mm -hmm. no errors on tests yeah. or, you know, and for me, in medical decision making, like it's just not a, it's just not a thing. Yeah. So, anyway, that must be tough. Must be tough. Well, it's not as tough anymore because I'm trying to working on transitioning. <laughs> That's awesome. um, so where should we start ping should we start with uh you're an engineer yes i was we start there sure i was a how failed you, engineer how how did you go or wh why did you become an engineer let's start there well you know what uh, my family actually owns a well my mom's side we had a very big uh manufacturing for honda Okay, so it was a, everything was an ODM, OEM uh, suppliers back in Taiwan. So growing up, we have the uh, manufacturing for fasteners for Honda and all of their tier one suppliers. So it was a pretty big family influence on me because uh, being in, a, in that kind of environment uh, where there's a big family business, um, they obviously talk about the engineering product a lot. So okay. we have a bunch of uh, cousins. Uh, actually, a lot of my female cousins, they were... They end up being in the uh, accounting, sort of accounting side. And for guys, we're kind of like being trained into the engineer, in engineering mindset, right? So even my brother was a mechanical engineer. And then by the time I needed to select my major um, in high school, I said, you know what? I don't know enough, but I, it sounds like uh, engineering could be the right path for me. Like it was a fam almost like a family tradition. 
Yeah, saying? pretty much. Uh, except my mom was already a business owner, and my dad has always been investing in stock. So the financial education side has always been pretty decent. And uh, but my my parents, because they've they've been through that entrepreneurship journey, they didn't want us to go through that kind of a um, sort of an obstacle or challenge in life. So they always wanted to, to wanted us to have a full time, high paying job, you know, and invest in real estate or stock on the side. Because they they had the the they had to suffer through business ownership and they exactly. didn't want their kids to do the same thing. Yeah. My my parents are actually very similar because my yeah. parents are general contractors, like residential general contractors. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and they were forced into that because my dad lost his job when his company was downsizing. Right. So my parents kind of told me the same thing. They're like, you should go get an education so you don't have to do all this stuff that we have to suffer through. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting because uh, people who are in uh, business thinks that uh, they want to create a, a sort of a protection for their kids so that they don't have to go through a lot of challenges that we're seeing at this moment, right? Like running a business, you're dealing with people all the time. Uh, it's not, sometimes it's not as simple as just dealing with products, right? And uh, yeah, for them, they just want to try to lay down the path for us and then kind of uh, want us to follow the path that they think is the easiest. But you know, life just works opposite, right? Kids always kind of want to do the opposite of what the parents want to do. So the moment I'm being put into that pathway, I feel like uh, I just can't see myself being in that box for too long. Yeah. Yeah. So so you became an engineer. I did. And it was, uh, to be honest, that was the hardest part for me, uh, even when I'm looking back, right? Because I, yeah. being forced to do things that I didn't enjoy doing for five years, uh, going through uh, not just the school, even the internship, uh, even spent a year working engineering field, it, it, it didn't bring me any joy. And then uh, I think uh, there's a lot of expectation, right? Saying that you have to complete your program, especially from Asian uh, family, the culture, right? And then uh, I I was sitting there, one of the pivotal moment was when I was like going to Michigan um, for a business trip. My senior engineer, I was driving my senior engineer, um, you know, same car, we we're driving down. I asked him a lot of questions because I'm always trying to like abs uh, absorb new knowledge, right? Any guidance I want to find a shortcut. I'm always that type of mentality. And then he told me a bunch of, he was very willing to share. But the moment that I asked him about, hey, so uh, that's a, uh, sorry, career aside, career development aside, what would you do? Uh, what would you do? What would you recommend me to do uh, in terms of how to invest and all that stuff? And he's just like, you know what, well, Ping, that's something that I can't really help you because, uh, I don't have that much money. I don't have a lot of investment, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, not even stock. It's just like, yeah, I try to stay away from that. So what are you investing? Oh, uh, RSP, which is a 401k in, in the US. I'm like, oh, my mom and even my parents and even like all the financial education that I've been going through tells me to do the opposite. Don't get into 401k, don't get into RSP, right? Those pension uh, plan is not, uh, it's not really built for our generation, right? The returns way too slow. So right there, I'm just like, I cannot see myself working 30, 20, 30 years just to get to your position and still have to worry about the investment. And tell me again who this was that, that was telling you, like a, a professor? Uh, yeah, he's a professor. He's a senior engineer. Um, okay. He was a very, like, he, his position was high. Okay. And he's like at the end of his career and he's like, I don't have very much money. Yeah, he's, I think, I, I remember he was probably around like 45 years old. Um, okay, so yeah. 
mid career. Mid career, yeah. But still, forty five years old. Like I would, I I was already thinking about like probably when I'm in like forties, I want to create a secondary position or options for myself, right? I don't have to continue with a career um uh, in the corporate world if I don't have to. That was just a moment, but that that really pushed me to the other way. I'm like, okay, I gotta do something right right away. Okay, so you didn't like it. Um, somebody told you that you don't really make that much money as an engineer. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, how did you go about trying to do a career change? Because that's that's not easy once you've invested all that time into yeah. engineering, all that all that school. You might have. Did you have debt at that time? Uh, no. For no sure. debt. Have any day. So a little bit okay. about background story. When I first got into university, I'm a very fortunate. I was in a very fortunate situation where my parents already was uh, guiding me through into the real estate journey uh, in year one, right? In my first year of university. So they actually sent me down. Uh, this story I share. Uh, I share a lot with a lot of people that I, I first connected. My mom actually sent me down uh, first year before I even had my first class. She wrote twenty on my notebook. And then she say, "Hey, Pink, you got two jobs that you need to do uh, in this college life. Number one is to finish your diploma, right? Get through the engineering degree. Number two is by the time you graduate, the twenty means you need to have twenty tenants paying you rent. So she set up a goal for me. She's like, "Hey, listen, I we're doing the real estate investing back in Taiwan. That was the reason why we we're able to actually immigrate to Canada. I want you to duplicate this one, and you need to start it early, right? Because even for her." She started pretty early, I would say, like late twenties. But she kind of wished that she could start it even earlier. So she kind of like just asked me to or push me into into real estate investing. I never thought being a landlord is something that's uh, appealing or anything. I yeah. in all my childhood memories, like taking out some garbage, right, doing some painting every time there's a tenancy turnover, right. So for me, it's like okay, I got one more thing to do. Uh, really didn't have a, any say. But she helped me with the down payment, acquired my very first property. By the time I finished school, the very first pro property I had four like four rooms, and then I added additional two rooms in the in the basement, so six rooms. Same thing happens the year after, so four to seven, and then eight, and then the year after, I, I think I did another uh, four to three. So by the time I finished, I, I achieved that goal, and I had twenty seven tenants paying me rent. Wow. So, so kind of to answer your question. How did I make that transition? Because the the vision is already bigger than just uh, having career, right? I already understand what real estate investing means. I've seen how my mom used to operate the business. I also was fortunate enough to actually went back to Taiwan do a, a quick internship, three months internship at my uncle's uh, a factory, and he sent me out to different countries um, just to you know learn stuff and then uh, kind of understand how business works. So. By the time I'm being put into the engineering position, it was extremely challenging for me to stay in that position and, and to know that my race is only certain amount and I have to grind it through another 10 to 20 years before I can hit the financial goal that, that I had at that time. So, so yeah, that was kind of the journey. So, so the switch wasn't, it didn't take that long. Uh, right mm -hmm. away when I knew that this wasn't my, 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 my pathway, I immediately asked my boss, I say, hey, I see that some people like that. There's a shift work, right? It's actually 24 hours in my in my company, um, but for engineering department, we get to choose from seven to three or nine to five. Most people stick to nine to five. 
I literally told my boss, hey, can I come in actually 6.30 or 7? And then I can leave the work at 2.30 or 3. And then he's just like, yeah, no, as long as you finish your job, you're, you're an intern, so yeah. you have a high expectation. So I always get my time back around 3, 3 p.m. And that's where I started looking out, um, you know, going out there, networking with the local investors, try to increase my knowledge in real estate and, you know, figure out if there's any side business that I can operate all the way until 11 a.m. And then I will just repeat that all over and over again. Okay. And then um, you just found a deal somehow? Yeah. yeah. So what was your first deal? Yeah. First deal was, uh, you know, uh, there was, um, I actually made up uh, my business partner at the time through my, through my wife at the time was girlfriend. We connected and he told me a few different creative financing. And I'm like, okay, listen, uh, you're running construction company right now for your family. You're still going through school. I have a bit of time after work. So why don't I just start picking up some, uh, some leg work? So what I did is I printed out a lot of flyers. I was handing it out. I, I did a lot of driving for dollars, try to find that one deal. And then we also tried the pre foreclosure approach with the tax sale properties in Canada, the foreclosure. Uh, bank will only for literally one day before they list it out with a with a realtor. So I couldn't really take the foreclosure route um, in where where we are right now. So I did a tax sale, and then we tried to take the pre foreclosure approach. But long story short, as I'm going through this, someone actually reached out to me uh, because they saw my flyer, and they said, "Hey, I got the two actually four other properties in one city that was 45 minutes away from my city." It's just like, why don't we meet there? Because I'm thinking I'm okay with offloading some properties to you. Older gentleman, we had a conversation. And uh, at the end of the day, it's just like, hey, listen, if you can take two, I'd be happy to sell you privately uh, just to you guys. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's give you a try. Made tons of mistakes, just like anybody else uh, uh, when they first started out uh, uh, in yeah. their real estate. But I picked up two projects, and, th and those two projects were the first one that I did it without family resource. And that was back in 2015. Um, and right there, I didn't know much. I'm just like, okay, I can really qualify for enough mortgage for two properties. Let me figure out how to raise it. And I raised 200, uh, sorry, 550K for both properties um, at the age of 25. Wow. Wow. And was that just from networking with random people or was that? Yeah. So I... Uh, it doesn't sound like a super easy thing to do. No, it wasn't easy, but I kind of accidentally figured out a really good trick to raise capital. So okay. especially for people who are joining in or, or who are getting into real estate, we really didn't have a lot of, uh, um, I guess, portfolio to showcase. And even even though I had 27 doors, uh, student, pay, uh, student tenant paying me rent, I can kind of showcase about that. But a lot of people, especially friends, family and colleagues knew that that was uh, supported by the family okay? okay so i really didn't have a lot of uh i guess experience or portfolio to showcase on what i can do all by myself so what i did is that initially i was just pitching to random people and then when i said random people like people around me and then i realized that you know what my the response is just not getting it, it was just not positive so what i had to do is to figure out how to get people to trust me first and i noticed that doing a hard pitch which is hey presenting a deal is never gonna going to work because now I'm asking for money right away. The power dynamic changed. So, okay. By the time I started seeing some success, was I think after I pitched it to probably eight to nine people, and 
I'm like, okay, this is not working out. Why don't I ask if they know someone? So I started reaching out. I reached out to one uh, relative. So I'm just like, hey, uncle, so-and-so. I have this deal that I actually think is actually pretty profitable. Do you know anybody who might be interested in this? And then response turned out to be pretty positive. They were like, oh, okay, you know what? Uh, I might, but you know what? I also, I'm also sitting on some capital. Why don't you show me what you've got? Really? Right? Yeah. So it's very weird because I, I, when I ask the, the, my investors or my family or, or, or friends directly, they don't respond too well. But the moment that I skip them and ask them if they know anybody who wants to invest in my project, they all of a sudden the response becomes very positive. Really? So that's one that's one way that I realized that okay, people just people do have the money, um, but because they don't trust you, they much rather say in that head they don't have the capital and it's a firm no. Right. So I use that to get people to to sort of create a bit of a formal, uh, okay, if the deal is so good, why don't you ask me? Right. So that's number one. And the second method where I raised the majority of the capital for those two properties was to, was by doing, hey. So and so, I'm actually preparing a presentation for for an investor. Would you mind? I see that you might be you're also interested in real estate. Would you mind taking a look at my pitch and see if uh see if there's any advices or recommendation that you can provide to me? Oh, oh so my gosh! That's, I did that. I got my asking them for help. You're not asking them for money. Yeah, because I had oh to play with my innocence at the time, at the age of 25, without a lot of portfolio. Yeah. So I got myself into multiple rooms with uh, investors with some capital asking for advice. And after I handle all their ob objections, they say, you know what? Actually, we might be interested in investing in, uh, in this project. Really? Yeah. Wow. And this turned out to be my strongest uh, pitch where I don't know um, my audience yet. I do soft pitch. And then, uh, and then uh, once I get a chance to pitch it to them, I don't talk about the project. I talk about my previous project, which is self-qualifying myself. And then once I can handle all of that, then I present my deal. Okay. So the first time you're asked, I mean, do you keep on asking for feedback every time or now that you have experience? Do you I, just... I, I don't do that anymore, but that if anymore. I were just starting out again, that's what I would do. Okay. Yeah. Right now, um, right now, my soft pitch is like, hey, do you know anybody who might be interesting? I still do that. I use, I still use Lightline, but I don't get people to get into the room with me and watch me how I pitch so that they can provide some feedback to me. I don't do that anymore. Oh, wow. We can end there, Ping. That's like, that's like golden, golden nuggets right there. I'm a, yeah, I think I'm going to start using that myself, so. You're going to find a lot of success almost right away, especially right now you're doing uh, a lot of social media. You're providing a lot of value. I'm sure there yeah. are audience for listening to uh, or, or kind of like enjoying watching your journey. These people can potentially become your investor. If you ask them if they, uh, whether or not they know someone who might be want to, who might be interested in your um, real estate project. Because the moment you do that, you skip them, all of a sudden it creates a formal. They're going to want to know, hey, what kind of project, what kind of opportunities can I actually participate? Because I've been following your content for long, uh, for for many months already. I know. Yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen you following me, but so I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, cool. That that sounds like a that sounds like so easy that it it um might sounds too good to be true, but um, it's uh it, it took kinda, 
Yeah, it took me a while to figure that out, though. It actually took me a while to figure out how, what is the proper way to present myself as an investor because most people they went to the presenting deal a little too quick. Hey, watch my like, look at my pitch deck, right? It's some way too desperate, man. Like, when yeah. treat this as a dating process, okay? You well, know, do it slowly, like, make sure like we're a good fit, right? I don't really need your money, it's just a good opportunity that with or without you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. It's kind of like okay, there's a restaurant with or without you. I'm still gonna go because the food is great. Yeah, okay. I, you know there was a deal that I had, uh, and it was a it was a really good deal. It was it was a deal that my part one of my partners had, and I text like ten people, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a really good deal. Like, can I pitch it to you? Like, would you be interested? This was when I was very 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 first starting. And basically nobody responded, even though it was, it was, it was amazing. It was, a like instant equity sub two deal where they, they had to put down 60,000, but then they would gain a hundred thousand dollars of equity. So they would almost double their, their equity just starting out. And they had like a 3% interest rate. Nice. Uh, but it was gone. It was gone within like a couple hours, but I yeah. was trying, I was trying to find a buyer so I could get get paid yeah so here's um, the thing the one thing that i also noticed is that especially when it comes to raising capital capital is the is easiest to raise when you don't need the capital the moment that you need the capital it becomes very difficult so as a real estate investor we should always be raising capital always be creating our top of funnel to draw more interesting awareness from our friends family sort or even like audience right to know that hey we're constantly raising capital right and bring them into your your qualifying process Right. And by the time you actually need um, the capital to close on any deal, you already have 20, 30 people uh, on the pipeline. Right now, I make sure that we always have more than 100 people on the pipeline. Right. And not saying that I can close all of them, but I always make sure that that investor list is long enough. And I'm just going to pick and choose touch base once in a while uh, to make sure that, to make sure that uh, I understand their financial position, whether or not they feel comfortable pulling the trigger right away. Okay. Yeah. Now, when you're doing the soft pitch, do you ask them the questions, um, how much do you have and how fast can you deliver? Yeah. Do you so, ask those at the beginning? No. Nope. So ask. soft pitch, it was literally the two questions I asked. Hey, would you be okay. interested in uh, giving, me, giving me some pointers uh, for my pitch deck, right? Because I'm ready to actually present. The, the soft pitch is to poke the interest. Like, would you be interested in real estate? Because people who are not interested in real estate, they will never say yes to that kind of meeting. They don't want to waste their time. Yeah. Okay. So I've heard of people saying, um, like, before you have a deal, this is before you have a deal. Yeah. You're trying to network with people and somebody, it's, it's easy for somebody to say yes to the question of, Hey, next time I have a deal, would you be interested in giving me feedback? Yeah. Do you also ask, just curious, how much money do you think you'd be able to put into that? You don't. don't Yeah. Too soon, too soon. Because all of a sudden now you're asking for money, right? When you can't even qualify yourself. And what I'm talking about self-qualifying process is that you want to sit down with the investor. If they say, yes, oh, yeah, no, you know what? Honestly, like I'm interested. Uh, do you mind sharing a bit of information about uh, the deal that you're working on or 
in the, or, or that's in your pipeline, right? I, I will arrange a coffee with them, like an in-person meeting. I will sit with them. I will be like, listen, we'll keep this casual, right? Because here's the thing that we obviously need to see if it's a good fit. But let me show you what I've done in the past. I don't talk about my my project yet. I, I need to talk. I don't talk about the deals that I need to close yet. I need to talk about myself, my ability to, to turn the project around. So I showcase a bunch of a project where we made some money, our initial projection versus our actual, uh, really, uh, actual profit at the end. Cause I want to let them know that I've done this multiple times and I'm always using conservative numbers. I'm, I'm always going to over deliver my result. Once I can establish a couple projects, um, in that process, then I ask him, what do you, how do you feel about this conversation so far? If the answer is yes. Okay, great. How do you think about the market? Right. Is there anything that concerns you about investing in real estate market? You know what? Interest rates high, but I feel like the, you're always playing the waiting game, right? There's always millions of reasons for you to not get into real estate. So I think I'm ready. I, I can see that you can, you're diligent with your number. I feel comfortable. Okay, great. Yeah. You know what? Next time I have a deal uh, coming in, which is going to be the same criteria on the deals I just showcased to you. If I have that deal in the pipeline, now I'm going to, then how much capital do you feel comfortable investing in? I don't ask them how much money they have. I ask them how much do they feel comfortable investing in? Oh, that's the assumption that, man, you got a lot mm -hmm. of money. I know that I respect that, but how much do you feel like it's not going to stress you out? You can invest that money into this project for maybe okay. two to uh, three year term. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you go down the, um, do you go into asking them if they're accredited or non-accredited? Yeah. When it comes to bigger project where we need to structure LP, uh, GPLP, we have to ask for the, uh, that question because there's a security law that we need to follow. But usually people around this where we do like joint venture, then, then no. Okay. Okay. Do you know what the cutoff? Sorry, I'm just like drilling you with questions oh. here. Do you know what the cutoff is between when you need a securities attorney and when you don't? Uh, so, so I don't have a, so here's the thing. My, my, my cutoff is very, so my different asset class that I'm investing using the GPLP versus a smaller deal layer, the, the separation is so big. So let me give you an example. If I need to do a flip, right? It's going to be anything under seven to 800 K of asking uh, for the buying plus the renovation uh, costs altogether. So I'll be raising for that money. Prior to that, I will, I will also uh, qualify for a private lender, right? To cover 80% plus the renovation loan. So we're looking at maybe 200, 250K that I need to raise. I don't need a accredited investor. I just ask around, see how many people that be interested. I usually kept on the three people. Um, I would love to just work with one person so that there's not a lot of voices or updates that I need to provide to multiple different parties for a smaller deal. The moment I get into 2.5, million project, okay, I need to raise about maybe close to $1 million, including the renovation funds value add um, process. That's where I just go straight to GPLP. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right, cool. Well, thank you for, for educating me a little bit there, Ping. No um, all right, so... So now, so now you're, you've been in this business since 2015. Yes. What are you, what are you working on these days? Okay. So 
being investing since 2010, but being in the real estate business since 2015. 2015, that's when I started uh, my own corp with my business partner. Okay. And it has always been figuring out how to monetize in real estate industry. A lot of people talk about cash flows is never going to be enough for you to um, lift off your lifestyle of the of the uh, the cash flow itself. Because number one, the cash flow needs to be put into the property reserve in case there's anything happens to the property, right? One roof, one roof leak or HVAC goes off, that money goes into the property and you don't see that return anymore. Okay. So, and also on top of that, in order for me to transition out of engineering job, I have to handle the family pressure, right? So my parents was, were telling me that, how are you going to draw your income, right? They're, they're constantly challenging that. So I had to figure out a way to monetize in real estate as quickly as possible. So that that's the active income side. Right away, we did some flips, we did, and then we look, look, looked around, we're like, okay, we want to continue to grow that investor base. So Andrew and I, we started a property management business. Part of the reason was because we couldn't find the right property manager for our own properties. And then we're like, well, that's actually a pretty good way to connect with other investors. So what we did is we just opened up a property management company, hired a staff, manage our own, own properties. And then from there, we started increasing the sales of uh, all the landlords around our properties. And then very quickly, we were able to monetize in uh, through tenant placement fee, so commission, and the recurring income from the property management plus the maintenance, uh, maintenance margin. So right there, it replaced uh, my income and Andrew's income from uh, his uh, construction company, uh, also with family, family business. And then from there, we're kind of looking around what's the next step, right? Because property management is a, it's a slow grind. It helped us meet with uh, tons of investors, but... At the same time, uh, the the money that was the revenue that was generated in the property management business is just not enough. It's not quick enough. So, right. yeah, it's a very I guess um, uh, we're making some decision based on what we what we had at, at that current moment. And the truth is, we have around I think thirty or forty clients. And I was looking at how how many transactions they were buying and selling their real estate portfolio. I noticed that on average, if I just take on the total number of transactions divided by total number of clients, I see that every investor is doing is do is making some move every other year. Okay, and I'm just thinking about if I have 40 clients divided by two, that means every year I can close 20 transactions just by servicing our own uh, clientele. So right there, I got my license and I start transacting. And then uh, 2017, we got into our very first multifamily deal. 2018, we started flipping business in, uh, sorry, flipping um, uh, properties at volume. And then, uh, yeah, and then it, it's all just figuring out the monetization, uh, where to monetize in each stage of the business. So we had a property management business, we had realty, and we had a, a investment company when we started doing the flipping business. And then flipping business eventually also turned into acquisition company for, um, a, a, a mixed-use commercial buildings, and we we got in there in into this space heavily during the COVID time because we saw commercial building, you know, restaurants, um, office. All of a sudden, there there's a lockdown, and landlords right. are panicking. Yeah. See the 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 uh, very first building that we saw was 1.8, dropped down to one million dollars, 1.3 actually, mm-hmm. and I'm putting the offer for 1.1, and mm-hmm. Got that deal for 1.15. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we were able wow. to work on that building. Within 10 months, that building evaluation went back to $2 million. And we were able to just repeat that process four times within Whoa. the same year. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so that's kind of like a, where I, how our real estate journey has been. There's no one strategy that we stick to. We always kind of look around and see what what's the opportunity that we can capitalize on. Um, and, you know, try to get ahead of the wave before everybody comes in. The moment that there's a, a fear, we want to pay a lot of attention to it because there's not a lot of attention. Supply is the same. You have way less demand. That means the negotiation room is much, much bigger, right? The moment that there's a huge attention on one specific product type, you're already too late. Everything is overpriced. Yeah. 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 Right. So, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do that with assisted living. I think people are not paying attention to that market, but I think in like five to 10 years, I think everybody's going to realize assisted living is going to be a big market. So yeah. Yeah. All the baby boomers, right? Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's a big audience. But by the way, do you guys have baby boomers in Canada? I'm sure. I'm sure that's a global thing, right? No. I, I mean, I guess World War II ended and then everybody had babies. I just, I didn't, I don't even know how much Canada got involved in World War II. To be yeah, clear. no, but honestly, it's a global thing because even uh, where um, my, uh, where I grew up, right, in Taiwan, they always try to encourage people to have baby because uh, the, the, the population is Asian. Yeah, right. right. So we need to inject more new blood, younger people into the right. society. Yeah. Random stat, not to like hijack your story, but um, I heard that because uh, I'm reading the data on all this stuff. Um, there's this statistic called a care pri care provider to um, patient ratio. And um, I, two years ago, the ratio was seven to one. So seven people could take care of one adult. And it's because it was the baby boomers that were taking care of the silent generation, which is the generation before them. Mm -hmm. um, but by 2030, that number is going to be four to one. And then by 2050, that ratio is going to be three to one. Yeah, so, crazy. It's going to be a lot of need to take care of. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely early um, like in this space, right? Because uh, as much as the people are talking about it, not the, there hasn't been a lot of action, right? Maybe there's a facility being built in all that stuff, right? But I'm pretty sure by the time that wave really comes in, the current facility is not going to be able to support, um, you know, all the seniors and all that stuff. So right. yeah, I've, been, I've been hearing a lot of people talking about this idea, but I haven't seen enough of business uh, being built around that. So I think that's a big, big opportunity to uh, to look into that. Yeah. But, but you guys scored during COVID because it sounds like. Yeah, I got to say every single year, there's a different opportunity. 2021, we got in heavily into student rentals because uh, campus was shut. shut uh, there, there was a lockdown for the campus, right? For two consecutive years. And then uh, I see the price dropping like crazy, right? So we were able to acquire like quite a bit of uh, student rentals at 600K mark which under the normal circumstances would be 800K. And then at the peak of the market, 
all of them actually went close to $1 million, right? So we're able, we're able to capitalize on that. Uh, 2022, there was not a lot of opportunities, right? But we were doing, yeah, like the, at least in our market, it was a uh, interest rate was high, a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of fear literally everywhere, but um, yeah, a lot of uh, deals, not a lot of deals. So there's only f like a handful, four deals that we did. It was like, it was okay, but not like a, not like a, it was a great opportunities or anything. But that's also when we made a decision that we need to start looking to the US market because Ontario market is already high. We had such a nice ride uh, from on average, I believe 400K all the way to right now, 850K um, in, a, in the greater GTA, a greater Toronto area, GTA area. So right, right. I feel like we, maybe there's a room for appreciation, but it's not going to be that significant compared to the, the past 10 years. So okay. where I truly feel like the next spot for Ontario investors is actually going to be four hour drive from Ontario, which is going to be Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Detroit no. is that kind of a reputation that not a lot of people can, are willing to get in. So. Um, I have a, I have a, some contacts in Detroit, but I've been very hesitant about that market, but Ohio, especially in, the uh, Columbus, Columbus, sorry. Um, I think the, the fundamental of that city is very strong. It's a growing population, 900,000, uh, people in there. Um, there's no rent control compared to Ontario. Eviction takes two to three months, whereas eviction in Ontario takes 30 months sometimes. It's actually worse thing than uh, California. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I gotta, I look, gotta look at this on a map. To be totally <laughs> honest. So you think? So you're in Toronto, which is by, like the Buffalo, New York kind of border. Yeah. And you want to go to Ohio. Ohio, which yeah. is which is across the, the lake there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Sorry, my ge I'm from the West Coast, so my geography That's like, okay. north, northeast is not not there. But I, I, I see it now. I see where you're going here. Mm -hmm. Columbus. Okay. So you're not... Are you investing in Canada or are you just, just investing in America now? Yeah, so flips, I still want to do it locally because we, we got a pretty strong team locally already. Um, I got a 12 uh, full-time staff plus a lot of a sub-trade. So our infrastructure is here. And then we also have like over 800 units under our management at this moment. So active business, I'm still going to be operating here. But for long-term investment, I'm going to be shifting into the U.S. investing. That's why um, a few months ago, we got ourselves into a GP position for 149 units in Texas. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, we're like helping the group to raise capital. And then uh, from there, we, we have a bit of a a general partnership uh in, in that deal we also partnered up with another group for 38 units in ohio and that seems uh currently because like here's the thing as long as we we don't need to be managing uh the boots on the ground team uh from canada i'm totally okay with being a little bit more silent right and just invest in there and try to figure out what the next three to five year plan is going to be and it does look like the multifamily still has a huge uh, potential uh, in terms of the appreciation, even the rent, like Ohio, uh, there was one building that we're looking into fully qualified for section eight and the rent from section eight is actually going to be higher, slightly higher than the market rent that we're projecting. 
we're projecting 1100 we're already seeing uh people who are paying like anywhere between 1300 to 1500 for three bedroom apartment uh in ohio uh, using the section 8 uh, program so there are many benefits that we're seeing that we like and then uh, at the end of the day being an investor is just try to figure out what the opportunity is going to be and try to mitigate the risk as much as possible because starting out it's all about monetizing uh and where we are currently in the uh at the current business phase we want to figure out how to protect what's being earned right so there's a one portion yeah. where we need to continue to to be active there's also one portion where we need to play a little safe got it got it that makes sense makes sense cool yep well we got um got some time left you sound like you're you're a busy guy so i don't know if are you like do you have a lot of things going on tonight tonight or, yeah how much time do we do i have left to, to talk to you oh no you know what we can go on to one hour mark if you want okay. we still got 20 minutes we can talk a lot more stuff if you want okay um well is there anything big that you want to talk about or should we move on to the failing forward question um one thing i do want to mention uh yeah. is a deal sourcing aspect okay okay and the reason why i say that is because uh, real estate you make money in the buy so okay. i think for anybody who's thinking about starting out in real estate it's really important to figure out a way to get that well first of all under, really understand the business model that you're trying to get yourself into and number, and number two is I like get good at finding and sourcing the deal because that's at the beginning of the real estate journey. Don't try to pick up any project and, if, and, and figure out how to um, complete that project, make money uh, on the back end. You want to make that money on the front end. Okay, so there are many things that we can kind of touch on. I'll, I'll do a very high level, um, I guess, analysis on, on, on this topic. So number yeah. one is that a lot of people get into real estate and try to do wholesaling wholesaling for any beginner uh is actually pretty tough right part of the reason is because you don't know what house flippers you don't know what uh more events or intermediate investors are looking for so it's very difficult to actually package the deal and sell it back to them i did that back in 2014 that was actually my very first deal when i was uh doing my just uh looking into only looking to student rentals. I was able to wholesale uh, from one seller uh, is a neighbor of my property. To, and I sold that to a friend, right? Off market and, uh, and I made 10K over there. But I feel like this all, um, it was number one, I already got a connection locally. And number two, I know where the buyer buyers are, right? So, and that these two criteria was were, uh, or requirements were fulfilled before I could actually move forward with the wholesaling process. Um, a lot of wholesalers right now, number one, just have the correct understanding that it's, it's difficult if you have to go straight to the sellers directly, okay? And that's why I call B2C approach. And I know in the States, the, the data is a lot more accessible, but in Canada, we had to figure out a lot of ways to get that seller's information. And the way to do it is usually driving for dollars, door knocking, or even... Yeah. Um, you know, like sending out flyers and all that stuff, right? It, yeah. On average, it costs us around seven to eight thousand dollars to get one qualified lead to, to to get one solid deal on the contract. Seven to eight thousand. Yeah, that's how much we had to spend or invest to get this business uh, working. Wow. Okay. 
Does it does it make sense for us to continue? Yes, because every time that we can fl uh, flip or hotel a, pro a, a property or even wholesale a property, we're looking at maybe five x uh, the return, right? Okay. So it makes sense for us to continue. But a lot of investors or a lot of uh, beginner investors thought that wholesaler wholesaling you only need to have the earnest money or deposit to do that, and then you can make quick money right away. And then you take the wrong approach with with the sellers directly without having the right expectation of how much more time or money you need to spend. And that's where people lose the momentum. Uh, where we're kind of showcasing most of the time is using B2B2C approach. And I want to quickly touch on that because huge value in here. So you said B2B? B2B2C approach. B2B2C. Yeah. Okay. If you're going directly to seller, you're going directly to the consumer or clients. That's B, you being a business to C. Okay. The consumer. Yeah. B to B to C, it means that us being the business owner, we go straight to business owners that has a connection with those sellers first. So agents typically will have that kind of context because they're doing the farming uh, uh, in their specific area. So they might actually get some off-market deals. And if you can incentivize them by saying that, hey, you you can represent me as a buyer, take my commission, you'll allow you to um, or incentivize them to actually give you the deal first step. Okay. okay. Yeah. Property manager is another one that not too many people talk about. Our biggest uh, deal flow comes from our property management company. Okay. Because guess what? Really? People don't reach out to property managers until they have a problem. So... Kind of like doctor, right? Patients to go, don't go to clinics until they, there's a problem. Yeah. So where we capitalize on is when we receive a call, hey, uh, I'm looking for a property manager. Okay, there's a problem. What's the problem, right? Let's talk about this. If we notice that the motivation of the, the landlord wanting to get rid of the problem is very high, usually we will offer a way out. Hey, have you thought about just offloading this property? And then we'll, us, our realtors can actually help you find a proper investment uh, in this location so that you don't never have to worry about dealing with the tenants or or poor renovation uh, or poor condition of your properties anymore. If the answer is yes, you give us a way to do a joint venture partner or even novation uh, with the landlords. Okay, so okay. nice B2B2C. B to now, another one that, that I want to share with your audience like is probably some junk removal companies. Okay, I'm talking about like mom and pop one. Okay. Junk removal companies. Yeah. Junk okay. removers. Um, these people don't get cold until unless tenants want to move out and they want to get their security deposit back, they call junk remover. So right away you know, okay, there's a tendency came over. Okay. Landlords sometimes call junk removal because they need to they the let's say the tenants just left the place in a very uh with a lot of junk, right? They just decide to lose their security deposit, they call junk remover. Now you're, if junk remover can provide you with that contact information, now you're getting a lead completely for free, right? Okay. So all and these, you, uh, and sorry, you pay ahead. them, do you pay them like 500 bucks or something like that? The junk oh, you remover treat them as, 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 as good as you can. If they're <laughs> given by beer, you get them a, like a six pack of beer, right? If, uh, if you know, like they, they really enjoy or their anniversary is coming up, right? Give them a gift card for a nice restaurant, right? Take their wife uh, out for dinners or something. So okay. <laughs> depending on what, what they need, try to facilitate that as much as possible to make sure they're happy. Right. right. Yeah. 
That's I've never heard of the junk removal one. Yeah, we had a pretty good success on that too. Um, yeah, people who are in multifamily, there's a different ways to do it, but I I'll skip that part for now. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um. All right, so let's go. Let's go to the failing forward question. Can you talk about a one way that you failed forward or made a made a big mistake, but it ended up being a really good learning experience? Uh, every year there's a there's a, always a few things to talk about. I'm gonna talk about the very first mistake, major mistake that almost uh put 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 me out of business, and that's trusting the wrong partner. Okay, there was a lot of red flag on this person, but I got way too desperate uh, to finding a one um, person. So this guy was actually introduced by by my business partner. Um, not gonna name him, but he he's a he's a, a lot older than us, and he had a lot of a, a sales experience. Came into our company, drive the sales up, right? Even though there was a we already noticed that there was something off with him. Right, he's being overly dramatic. Right, there's a lot of like trust factors in uh, um, that that were overcome that were going through in the very beginning. I wasn't paying too much attention about the finance and even the even our safe, and I gave that trust yeah. a little bit too quick to this person. I trust trusted the wrong person basically, and then yeah. not really managing the person because I, you know, you think it was coming from referral, you can trust that person completely. Okay. Again, just lack of a, a business experience, and then uh, that year, twenty sixteen, uh, he stole eighty thousand from the company. Oh my gosh! Almost put us out of the business. And when I reflected back, if I just hire one bookkeeper, have a could be third party, could be virtual assistant, or even I just pay a bit of attention to the finance, um, I would have caught that problem almost right away. Really. It was a slow bleed here and there, different questions. Uh, sorry, different um, uh, scenario that he created that, okay, he now he needed to use the money, gave him the passcode, uh, gave him the credit card, and it slow bleed. It just never paid attention to. Um, if that happened, that kind of major mistake happened uh, as we're scaling the business, right? It could easily crush our business right away. Wow. All right, because ADK, I think, like... Um, especially when you're first starting out, or even if you have multiple uh, properties, or if your business is doing like 500K, you wouldn't keep that much cash as a reserve all the time. Because scaling up, you're always bringing cash. You're always hiring, always uh, using a different, uh, investing in a different part of your, your business, right? So yeah. So that was a, that was a, um, uh, one of the bigger mistakes early on, trusting wow. a lot of people. Yeah. Wow. And and by the way, I, I I want to use this example because a lot of people when they first got into real estate uh, deal, they also get a little bit way too desperate. Or or when when they come across with a money partner, they want to take that money right away without doing the due diligence on the other person. All those can cost you a fortune uh, if you have a wrong partner in there. Yeah. So. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. So, I mean, you said there were some red flags. Like, how do you, how do you, how can you prevent that you know what? Like in the future? Slowly, you build up that kind of intuition with people. Um, by yeah. that time, it was just, uh, you know, we didn't interview him, right? It was introduced by my business partner. Obviously, my business partner right now, every time we reflected on this situation, right? 
we're just glad that it was over because he also affected his relationship with uh like on on their end um but yeah didn't do the due diligence right didn't interview enough people uh didn't really understand what his motivation is right and some of the red flag were was a you can see that very easily right the way that he represents himself um the way he lied to certain clients to get what he wanted is like if i yeah. just pay attention to those behavior you could easily get turned or shifted towards us yeah and, and you did okay. or like just people exaggerating a little bit i i i could always tell like in clinic when i was seeing patients i could tell when somebody's lying because i had so much experience from what what real was and then if somebody like exaggerating a little bit i was like yeah you're a bullshitter i can tell exactly my <laughs> wife always said that really if you can still complain and talk that means that you're it's not that bad yeah <laughs> oh yeah your wife's the icu nurse yeah <laughs> yeah okay. yeah there's nurses are really good at picking up on stuff like that so yeah. well cool well any any last words ping this has been a, a really positive experience for me so far i've learned a lot awesome well why don't we do this uh is there any other questions that you might have for me like the maybe i can um write my my two cents not saying that yeah not saying that i can provide a full solution but something that you want to know maybe i can uh give you give you my thoughts um so Right now, I guess where I am is I'm spending way too much time on social media, like creating social media, but I'm not actually doing any investing. I see. Okay. So I need to figure out how to like pull back from social media a little bit. I can't, I don't know if I need to like push harder on the gas or if I need to let off on the gas and do more like talking to people about pitching them deals and things like that right so any, any suggestions for me yeah so here's the thing at the end of the day it's all about figuring out your angle right because uh, a lot of people right now are trying to learn other people's business model try, try to duplicate other people's success story but the truth is the market timing was different their resources financial resources their context um even the mortgage rule uh was different right so it's yeah. really difficult to duplicate other people's success story into yours. You gotta yes. figure out, and when I say you, I'm, I'm talking about everybody in general. We all need to figure out what is the best pivotal moment, um, or best way to pivot in business, best way to monetize, best way to integrate our resources all together uh, to get to the next level, right? Because the truth is that's the only way that, that can separate us from everybody else that are learning the same thing. So the very first thing that we look at is, uh, number one, whatever you're doing right now, what is the vision? What's the conversion or ideal outcome that you're looking for? And social media is extremely difficult because it goes this way and then it's like, yeah. stick, right? So you don't actually know when things are working until you go through a long enough time. Yeah. Right? But the, 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 the analogy that I'm using is I'm just, I'm doing whatever I'm doing to collect data. And then based on the data that I'm seeing, I want to make a certain judgment on when to pivot and when to continue to uh, continue the grind until I see some sort of effect. And how I will usually do it is I want to identify the outcome. Okay. 
Meaning, whatever I'm doing with a social media, it has to be, it has to lead to some sort of result. Okay, and that result can be, I want to raise a bit of capital. I want to raise uh, awareness of my journey, and then, uh, yeah, because the, the the whole purpose of doing social media is to increase that top of funnel to make sure that more right. people know about us. So yeah. some of the KPI that we can look at is our viewership being one of them. How many more engagement? How many more? reactions that we're getting from the post um are we getting more views on on specific video right is my knowledge growing uh as i'm doing more social media so all these stuff i want to make sure that it becomes a measurable goal and then if i am not seeing certain things growing okay do i need to pivot i can pivot maybe three four times to see if i can effectively increase that number but if i can't i want to reconsider uh, the whole picture because our time is very limited yeah okay so right and by the way this this may not be the right solution but i just i just want to give you my yeah thought. yeah yeah well yeah because there's like two trains of thoughts that i'm on one is and i've been listening to alex hormozy like a lot of people do and he the talks about just like what do the boring work yeah he talks about just grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding forever yeah and then and then eventually 10 years later, the results come. So, um, but then I, I heard Gary V. He said, like, try something maybe 50 to 100 times before you change your mind about what to yeah. do. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think I pretty much know what I'm doing, where I'm. I feel like I'm kind of on track, but I feel like my social media would grow a lot more if I had this amazing deal because then I could talk about this amazing deal and then it would build credibility. And then my, I feel like my social media would take off more. So the way to do it is, um, well, first of all, you're bridging that credibility and credibility can be bridged through leveraging other people's pro uh, product or project. Yeah. It, we talk about real estate. Uh, we talk about leverage financial leverage in real estate. But leverage can also apply into other people's credibility. It can also apply to other people's contacts, the power team, and all that stuff, right? So if I were in your position, I would reach out to maybe a few other uh, members in the in the community that you're in, and be like, "Hey, do you mind if I showcase some of your project? Uh, we can talk about us like being in this deal. We can maybe promote you a little bit, right? Because you do have the social media presence that you're working on, which not a lot of people can actually um, put into that much effort into building." building the, uh, you know, or like not even just uh, building a social media presence, also doing the podcast and all that stuff. So since you were doing this, it's totally okay to walk people through, hey, we can do a breakdown of this project or can we actually talk about this, kind of like leverage their project as, as though it's your own project, right? Talk about the experience this way. If you get a permission, now all of a sudden, you got a very interesting project that you can showcase, right? Yeah, that's good, you can also say something like this, which is why I did. Um, for bigger uh, complex, I literally just approached the group and I say, hey, we got uh, every month we got about like 200,000 views. Um, I want to figure out a way to like warm these uh, audience up, right? And then drive them into, you know, like uh, uh, the next project that we're doing. But instead of me trying to do that, why don't I just drive it to your project, right? And we're like, yeah, no, being an investor, we always need money, right? A capital is always a limitation. Great. So can I either work with you on this current project that you're doing 
as a general partner, which is what I did. And I'm going to advertise it. And then uh, you're going to just introduce me as a partner. Boom, boom, a few conversation. We're like, okay, we're good to go. Right. We all both do, do our own due diligence on each other. Make sure it's a good fit. And then uh, make sure that we're bringing different things to the table. All of a sudden I got like 149 uh, unit complex that I can showcase. I didn't find that project. I'm not going to be operating that project, but I know the project inside out because I went through their proposal. I went through their agreement uh, for the LP, right? So all of a sudden, like I can answer, I can talk about that project uh, with a very, I guess, uh, a lot of detailed information, right? And from there, I, my knowledge gap gets bridged because now I have a lot more knowledge in this specific deal yeah. in that space. I also can talk about, hey, moving forward, if I want to do this, it's going to be structured this way, yada, yada, yada. Okay, okay. so it, you, I'm leveraging other people's project and then that's really driving a lot of people into our, our webinars when we're talking about US investing and, and, and raising capital for, um, for the upcoming complex project. Okay, because then you can just say, here's a project, here's a project that I worked on and just talk about it like it was yours. I, I usually say here's a project that we work on, work on, right? Because here's the thing: like without real estate, is this right? Like the without the people, yeah. um, nothing can actually happen, right? So I always make sure that I'm not the only one taking all the credit, but but yeah, I give them the credit on on their part, and then I make sure that uh, I fulfill my part of the uh, the responsibility, right? Okay. So that's one way that you can do. Now, second thing that I I want to throw in is you're you're in medical field. There's a lot of people like you, you talk about the uh, burnout uh, quite yeah. often, which I love, like kind of uh, you showing the, um, uh, that side of a story, because uh, I feel like in today's world, everybody's trying to flex. And uh, I think we need to hear a little bit more real side of uh, um, the journey, right? So yeah. I'm sure people Thank will you. be, some people can connect with you on that level. Figure out how to make sure you increase that awareness or lead flow or engagement from those type of audience and see what you can do for them to create a secondary financial plan uh, outside of their, their career. That's what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I'm always a little bit scared to talk about that, but I have had some, some like heart to heart videos. Yeah. That feel really vulnerable, but yeah, cool. All right, Ping. Well, um great to have you on the show we'll be making reels and hopefully getting some views so awesome um, and then thank you to that to the people that are watching the show today be sure to like subscribe share with your friends um next week i have uh actually a doctor who is in the sub two community and he's going to be talking about his multifamily deals that he's done so awesome Awesome. All right. Everybody have Perfect. a good night. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right. So.